My name's James Whitman, and I work with the Art Handlers Alliance of New York City. In October, I interviewed Art Handlers at Terry Dowd, an art services company based in Chicago, Illinois. We spoke about their recent experiences working with Teamsters Local 705 to organize their workplace, the process they went through, and why they decided to organize in the first place. In October, they were still in the middle of their first ever contract negotiations. Now it's December, and I'm happy to report that since the interview, Art Handlers at Terry Dowd and the company have successfully negotiated a contract. We wish all of them the best of luck. Okay, one more test. This is my voice by itself. This is my voice with Red Garland. My name is Kevin McGrath. Chloe Siebert. Neil Vandenberg. I recently um, actually quit Terry Dowd, but while I was there, I worked there for about five years. I came to Terry Dowd because I think like a lot of people graduate from art school, you're looking for a way to support yourself and you don't want to become too distant from something that you care about, which is making art and, and participating with other people who are in the general art world. So. From the outside, Terry Dowd seemed like a really great place for me. Yeah, most of us, I would say, uh, came out of art school. And the art school turns out to be like this very expensive sort of trade school for art handling. I was on a job site uh, for a rather high-end client, and I cut my hand mm-hmm. and needed to get stitches. And when I called in uh, to my manager to let him know, you know, what had happened, I wasn't greeted with like, oh, are you okay? You know, like what, what happened, you know, it was immediately about um, how are we going to cover this up? The client actually volunteered to drive me to the ER and I went up to the counter. I was like, yeah, my boss wants me to put it on my insurance. And the lady's like, that's fraud. The next day I went in and they asked to talk to me. They sat me down and, and tried to make this, um, case for the fact that I had been somewhat negligent and I had you know in two years I really hadn't had any incidents yeah. you know I hadn't injured myself or anyone else and I really didn't have a bad track record but they were trying to convince me that I was I was a careless person mm-hmm. and that what had happened um, needed to be they needed to punish me so severely that I wouldn't make a mistake like this again. And they suspended me for a week. So you got someone to boss around and make you feel big now. We find out our hours the day before we work. It's like the flexible scheduling crap. You'll work like two 12-hour days in a row or three 12-hour days in a row. And then the next day they'll be like, oh, we got nothing for you and cut you off short. So it's sort of impossible to make any sort of plans throughout the week. They used to do this thing where you would get paid $15 an hour as an independent contractor until they decided to hire you. And then once they put you on, they would dock your pay to 14 an hour. About a month later, I had been back at work. And a employee who had been there for eight years, mm-hmm. um, who was uh, had been a crew chief, 
clients requested her by name. Uh, just an excellent employee and someone who really enjoyed the work, actually enjoyed being an art handler. Uh, she was backing up a truck and a driver had kind of cut in behind her while she was parking and was outside of her line of sight and the back end of the truck connected with the car and, and there was some minor damage. But their reaction was to do the exact same thing with her. They technically suspended her for a week, although they didn't, they never allowed her to take the suspension because they needed her on job sites. Okay. <laughs> so, like people were requesting her by name so they couldn't like actually punish her, but on record, they were they were suspending her for a week. From her. When I heard about that, um, I sent out an email asking people to just not go into work for a day. Okay. That ended up um, producing the conversation about uh, organizing. Okay. When you guys first started thinking about organizing, had any, had any, any of you done this before? No. No. Yeah. I don't. No, I don't think so. Um, did anyone have experience in a union meal? No. <laughs> you know, it began with meetings at, at the Teamsters uh, mm. headquarters. That took maybe a month or so just to kind of get enough people out to see, you know, and hear uh, what they had to say. So the, the initial step is to um, is really to see how many people want to organize or not. Yeah. You know, all of it would kind of center around the conversations in the trucks. One that stuck out to me, I was working with an older employee, and we had kind of been talking about it. And I, he had a kind of sense, or his demeanor was one that he seemed like he, he thought of it as kind of a joke okay. or something, or they thought this was something that, that a bunch of kids would do, or, or you know that it was somehow immature. And ultimately, he ended up accusing me of having a vendetta. That, that what I was doing was a kind of a way of getting revenge, you know, and I, I was extremely offended by that. Yeah. Can you think of any reason why the people that had worked there so long, why they would be like they would be sort of adverse to the idea? There are a mm -hmm. lot of people who were working there for a very long time mm -hmm. that uh, sort of, you know, it took them a good 10 years to make 20 bucks an hour and yeah. they were comfortable um, and they were not interested in unionizing. Sympathy for the oppressor, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I don't want to say it like that, but that's just kind of what... Like, this person that, like, really doesn't have your interests in mind, but, like, you're convinced they do because you have worked for them for eight years or something. So at first it was maybe, like, five or so people, really, that came to the bar, and then over time, you know, really what came along was was the younger half of the company. And then, I mean, some some of the older people started coming, but you could kind of tell that the, the reservation was there towards uh, towards the process that um, essentially they, they probably weren't going to vote for. Okay. So in order to like have an election, you have to sign these cards to certify for an election. And I think you need about 30% of the eligible of like the, the body that would be represented to uh, sign these cards mm. and local 705 was just, they wanted at least 80% of the people to sign these cards just okay. for, so know that we had a good shot at actually winning this election, knowing like, <clears throat> because they've done so many past elections that, you know, at least 25% of the people who sign the cards are going to get cold feet and not do it. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it seemed like that like 80% that we got was super solid. And of course at the end, it like turned out to be just a really hardcore, uh, 50, 50. Okay. If I did the company respond, cause they must've, once you started talking to people, they must've realized fairly quickly. So the way that the company yeah. found out, um, we actually were very successful in keeping it um, private, which is yeah. which was key. It was so satisfying. Yeah. Like they were so surprised. The general manager like got the letter. It's like holding it and screaming like, "I'm gonna fire every single person that's on this letter." And we we're like, "Oh, you can't. That's actually you know we're gonna write you up for that." He had to Google what do you do if your workplace unionizes. Okay. And then he like got a, like a top 10 list that was like, what don't you do when your workplace unionizes? And he just like misread it and did all of like, just obviously illegal things, you know? Yeah. Which actually like worked out really well for us because we were able to prove that the manager had very strong anti-union opinions mm-hmm. that they were like trying to enforce on us, which is illegal. The other sort of major activity that the company did a sort of figurehead named Gary Kratt, uh, K-R-A-T-T. And uh, what he said he was, was the new owner of the company. He's definitely fake. He wore like the same suit every day. Can I just, can I just have this one aside that I like need to tell? Yeah, 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 Yeah. Uh, He, well, he was in, you know, this guy, Gary something, whatever. In his like Ferragamo shoes and the same suit that he wore every day, he was like, "I I haven't been in touch with the company or any of you because I've been on a bucket list trip around the world, and it was very difficult to get a hold of me. I have this very special cell phone." He like pulls out his iPhone. He's like, "I have this very special cell phone. It's just like yours, but it's a little tricked out. I can receive a call anywhere around the world." It was like. <laughs> It was so weird. <laughs> like, what was he trying to do there? Were we supposed to be like, oh, wow, a billionaire. And yeah, he's yeah. got a cool phone. I don't, it was so weird. But you had some difficulties with your election, didn't you? We didn't mm-hmm. win the first election outright. Um, I believe it was something, there was actually one vote more that was uh, not in favor mm-hmm. of the union. Since the election was so close and we had so much well-documented material about like the company putting a lot of like anti-union pressure on the employees then the argument was made that that could have swayed that one vote and that we would have a rerun election and then when the rerun election happened you know we won by like uh six or something so now that the shop is unionized like uh, what's happened what's has anything changed has it changed is it is working there different yeah, it was unfortunate to see how some people um, reacted. Um, a lot of the older people who, you know, I'd, I'd come to really be fond of um, really changed their really? opinion of me yeah. and and fellow co-workers. Um, some people um, outright stopped talking uh, to me. Um, uh, the the woman I spoke about uh, before who had been there for many years, um, you know, basically stopped mm-hmm. talking to me um, entirely. It got better. And they sort of, in that period, I think they were sort of making 
some concessions to us that, you know, they were saying were for other reasons, but we file for the election and then our starting wage gets raised a dollar and our vacation package or, um, and sick time and all that stuff all like sort of happened in that, in that time. It's just nice to be able to have a, somebody there, like some organization lobbying for you in the background to sort of pull out of your pocket. Mm -hmm. But we're still doing contract negotiations, so we're not technically in yet. The process of the contract is uh, deciding what you want, what's reasonable, and then um, bargaining in good faith with the company and finding um, the reasonable middle that you Mm -hmm. can both agree on. I was working my ass off and I'm, I'm not surviving. This isn't enough to, to live off of. I know now working in the freelance um, arena um, what people will kind of do to get work, you know, which is all right, you know, I don't want to work for $17 an hour, but right now I don't have any work, yeah. so I'll take it. And I think being an artist and then entering workforces like this can give you the impression that you're not worth um, that what you do isn't worth a, a livable mm-hmm. wage. Um, so I think moving forward, I think I think art handlers at companies need to do this to secure for themselves um, livable wages, or else companies will treat them as expendable. Um, and also, I think in for freelancers, I, I think it's important to begin to demand higher wages from from galleries and institutions because. I do think that there is this sense that, um, well, if you won't do it, yeah. someone else will. Individuality is so fucking praised and like taught in art school. You yeah. know, it's like that's how you make good art. Is like you make the art that that is you the most, and that's what you got. Like, and it, yeah, it's a very competitive field. So like trying to get people to like identify themselves as workers, not as artists. It's like this big cultural barrier. It's so difficult for people to imagine having an organized workplace in the arts, but we really want to make it a reality. I would just encourage people to please do it too so it works better. (laughs) 